Hey, welcome to this episode of the Today Dreamer podcast, where we cultivate the practice of presence so that we may fully participate in the blossoming of the emergent world story together. Today's guest is Matt Young, the director of the Melbourne Meditation Centre based in Victoria, Australia. I'll tell you a little bit more about Matt real quick. He believes that insight and calm can be developed by welcoming thoughts and emotions rather than by striving to make our minds empty. His guided meditations introduce unique strategies and insights and encourage listeners to adopt a playful, exploratory attitude towards meditation. He runs wonderful regular workshops and courses and retreats in and around Melbourne and also offers online training. So, um, if you stay to the end of the podcast, there'll be a very special guided meditation that Matt was kind enough to guide us through. So be sure to kind of listen all the way through because it is a quite uh, it is quite a, a beautiful and rich episode in and of itself. And that little treat on the end just makes it even more special. So I'll quickly let you know that I'm also offering uh, one-on-one reflective sessions via my website, todaydreamer.com. So if you're interested in, you know, someone to hold your hand through the process that you're currently going through or a sounding board or someone to reflect, I've put together a structured sequence of practices and explorations that I'm looking forward to moving through uh, with a small hand, a small hand-picked group of listeners. So if that feels right to you, feel free to get in touch. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to leave a review or a comment or send me an email to let me know what you think of the show. I'd love to hear from you. So before we get into things, um, actually, let's just get into things. I think we have our breath together with Matt on this one. But yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. And again, thank you for your presence. (laughs) All right. So everyone listening, there's an invitation to gently close your eyes and come into a slow and deep breath together before we commence on this little podcast journey of ours. So if it feels right, feel free to close your eyes and see if we can inhale as gently and as naturally as you can. Whenever it might be that you reach a peak of the breath as an open invitation to just feel into what that space is like. For gradually exhaling just as gracefully on the way out. Maybe we'll repeat the process one more time.
the next exhale, feel free to gently open your eyes and let's get into things. So I was thinking the four parts I mentioned earlier around how we might be able to break things up and open to suggestions here to see kind of how you feel and think about this. But I was thinking what, what I, I tend to get a vibe from you, Matt, of let's make meditation accessible to as many people as possible. That's kind of um, a clear sense I get from our interactions in the past and everything I've kind of come across of yours with previous chats and things like that. So an idea of how we might be able to do that through this channel I had was maybe I could just throw some, some common kind of um, issues that I've experienced myself and that I've experienced people around me have had with meditation. Let's just see what you would have to say about that. I thought that might be one way and then we could maybe even explore the idea of accessibility a little bit if you are open to it. And then I was thinking it might be cool to find out a little bit more about you um, and your own kind of experience through teaching meditation and meditating for a couple of decades now. And then possibly we could free flow for a little bit and then maybe end with a little meditation if you're open to possibly guiding one for us. Um, how does that sit with you and how does that feel? That sounds like a good place. Yeah, cool. Happy with that? Yeah. I kind of intentionally set up the space like this today and and I don't usually film from this angle because there's this sense of like, I've got like all this stuff going on behind me and there's a sense of you don't really need all the stuff to meditate. You know, you can, wherever you are in your life and wherever you are, you know, in the world, um, it seems like meditation is, it's there for anyone. It doesn't matter. There's no discrimination. There's no separation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is there, is it, before we begin, is there anything around this idea of accessibility? Um, is there anything that really drives you in that direction? Is there a reason for that? Or like, yeah, what what has kind of lit that fire within you is where my curiosity is sitting. Mm. You see, there are, there are a whole lot of little points that have kind of got my mind sparking from what you've just said there. Um, the first thing that came up was, yeah, I want to make meditation accessible, uh, but not necessarily to everyone. Um, that might sound a bit weird, but what I mean by that is I don't see my role as a proselytizing role. Like I'm not trying to convert everyone to, to meditation. Um, I'm interested in making meditation accessible to those who are interested in it. Um, if people aren't inter- interested in it or um, have other means of kind of finding calm or balance or whatever it is they're seeking, then good for it. You know? And I think my brother, for example, he goes fishing. Um, he loves fishing, you know, and I, I think that's his meditation in a way. Um, and so I, I'm not going to try and, you know, every time I see him, I don't say, oh, you should meditate, you know. <laughs> um, you know, 
he does his fishing, I do my meditation. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, just wanted to you know clarify when I say making it accessible. It's just to those I think that's are, a good clarification because that's not a very nice feeling if you, you know, being on the other end of something like that. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and then that I actually tweeted today. I remember what I tweeted. It was something to the effect that, now the other thing about accessibility, sometimes you hear people saying anybody can meditate. Um, and I think there's some truth to that, but maybe there's a bit of that same kind of proselytization in saying that. It's like, it's almost like you should meditate. Anybody can. I, I don't know if you understand how that saying everybody can meditate kind of can, can convey a sense that everybody should meditate, I think. Mm. Um, but my, what I intended in the tweet that I made this morning was that um, meditation, I think I actually explicitly said that meditation doesn't have to be something mysterious, mystical, magical, um, esoteric, unusual. And you kind of related to this when you said, you know, you can do it without anything. You know? um, it's simply a way of focusing and sensing, um, which are things that everybody does all the time. In meditation, we just do those things much more consciously and deliberately. So in other words, I would say that Everybody does meditate in, in a very, you know, meditation can be a very natural, instinctive thing. It's just, you know, I'll give an example. Like if whenever you've felt peaceful, you're probably using your attention in a meditative way. Or if you're lying in bed at night, warm under the covers, listening to rain patter on the roof. Or if you've gone for a bushwalk and you've sat down by the creek and you're just listening to the kind of trickling sounds of the water or the wind through the leaves or the the sound of the waves on the ocean then your attention is drawn into this kind of into the moment into the sense into the sensory world and you know that's not that's accessible you know <laughs> that's that's nothing in a way, it's nothing special, you know, because it's so universal a kind of uh, experience. Uh, but it is special in that we often remember those moments because there's a kind of richness and aliveness to them. We feel um, at one, to use a real cliche, um, or at one, at peace, at home, um, or just kind of chilled. Um, uh, so I'm not sure whether I've answered your question there. Oh, yeah, that's 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 kind of what I mean by accessible. Yeah, I, I like that clarity that you've that you've kind of shined on that because yeah, sometimes we can in the way we express things, we could maybe subtly be taken one one way that maybe wasn't intended, or um, mm. we can even yeah, there could be this this idea of you know, people could feel a certain way by hearing, you know, everyone can meditate this sense of, or even like this sense of pushiness or everyone should meditate. But I think what you've addressed there seems to be like this idea of, you know, maybe, maybe people that feel like they can't meditate or they haven't got it within them. Um, mm. 
maybe they've meditated in the past before and they haven't even realized it and they've been they didn't even realize that was meditation or you know this label of meditation hasn't been attached to that experience so um that connection wasn't quite there but i think what you're saying is it's kind of this is what i'm hearing anyways it's 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 within all of us or we've got access to it if we want to go down that path or if we want to explore that area and we're probably doing it in ways we don't even realize yeah yeah Yeah, exactly what you alluded to there was you know someone might hear that statement you know anybody can meditate and they might you know a lot of resistance might come up because they might say i can't i've tried it didn't work you know it's impossible it's it's crap (laughs) um but you know that's their their kind of stereotypical stereotypical conception of meditation you know, blanking the mind sitting in the lotus pose chanting om or whatever it might be i can't do that and they'd be right you know <laughs> or um they'd be right to the degree that it might have been um unsatisfactory or uncomfortable for them to, to meditate in that way um, but if they have a broader conception of meditation then they might go hmm, well, well actually yeah you're right um i don't mind that you know <laughs> Yeah, I can um, meditate in some way, if not in the the kind of way I thought. I've got a curiosity coming up. If you've ever experienced, I know that I've come across this a couple of times and I haven't really been sure what to make of it. This sense of um, almost like um, shrugging off forms of meditation. Like I don't, um, you know, I don't meditate in this way, but, you know, I meditate in all these other ways. Um, I don't know, like I've heard people say things like that have just come across like it's a shrugging off or like it's a kind of a, um, yeah, it's not for me kind of thing. And there's a sense of like, different things are okay for different people and work for different people in their own way. So there's a sense of like, of course, that's okay. But I also sometimes get a feeling of um, almost like a resistance to experiment in some forms or um, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I'm just thinking, I'm trying to think of some concrete examples, but um, like, yeah, I'm trying to think of where I'm going with this. There's a sense of like, okay, um, there's there's this group of people, I guess, and, and I've definitely been in this group um, before, and that's kind of this sense of like, um, no, like, I, I can't do this. This is too difficult. Um, there's also, I guess, like another um, group of way of thinking that's kind of like resistant to experiment. Um, how would you approach that when it comes to, people wanting to meditate, but maybe um, being a little bit resistant to try things out or um, maybe feeling like when they've tried things in the past, they might've gotten a hint of things being uncomfortable. So they've decided to kind of block that off in terms of exploration, which again, seems totally fine, but it seems like, yeah, there might be some kind Mm. of, yeah. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, I think so. It sounds like, in a, let's say someone's had a previous experience which was unsatisfactory or worse. <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, they trust that experience or that experience kind of calcifies or solidifies within, becomes a kind of pretty firm belief that's kind of resistant to change. It's hard to dislodge. Um, you know, the person themselves might find it difficult to dislodge, let alone, you know, someone else. Um, and so that kind of pervert, uh, creates some resistance, some barrier to um, further exploration for ex experimentation. Um, and yeah, I think for that kind of in that kind of situation, uh, a direct approach, a kind of advising or recommending something to that person is unlikely to be at all effective. That would be that kind of proselytizing or it come across in that kind of way. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you're broken. You need to do this. You know? uh, well, that's how that could be heard if you tried to. So I think you know, I would kind of, leave those people to kind of um, change their mind in their own time. Mm. Um, so if we're, yeah. if we're thinking about these ways that people can reach a meditative state outside of, um, you know, I guess a formal sitting practice of some sort, like, mm. you, like maybe within um sport or music come to mind or a moment where mm -hmm. you're staring at the moon or you're kind of immersed in the sounds of nature are there any ways that you've yourself looked at um accentuating those 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 experiences or um maybe maybe not formalizing them but you know ritualizing them or bringing them into some kind of a regular practice of some sort yeah uh, well, that's often a question I ask um, meditation students. If someone's come to see me, rather than teaching them how to meditate, I'll ask them, um, what, what does or what do you find relaxing? What do you find pleasant, enjoyable? What, what brings a sense of balance, harmony, uh, relaxation, calm to your life? Where do you go for those things? Um, and I think even just asking that question is kind of a start in a way. Um, it kind of validates whatever it is they do as, as something kind of useful and warranting kind of time and attention. Um, yeah, I think this is, uh, I'm just something just come up real quick and sorry to interrupt you, but there's a link to what, what where I was going earlier. It just kind of makes sense now. What if you feel inside, and this is like, again, probably a judgment from my point of view, but what if you feel inside like that may be not the best thing? Like, for example, um, for me to meditate, I need to relax. And to relax, I need to watch a lot of TV, just as an example. Um, yeah. And it's hard to judge because, you know, you never know because other people's experiences are so much different to your own and who knows what they could be going through in any particular moment and who knows mm. how that maybe it does work for them. But there's a sense of some of these things I've heard in the past haven't worked for me. And I think maybe that's where that initial inquiry came from. Yeah. I've, 
I'm not quite sure what your question is there. So it's it sounds like you're saying let's so in in the scenario where I say what relaxes you when someone says you know watching binge watching Netflix or mm. drinking two bottles of red wine. That's my way to meditate. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think we. Yeah. So well, whilst I. Uh, like to have a broad, flexible definition of meditation. I think what you said, what you might be alluding to is, you know, where, where are the boundaries or where do you lie? Where does something become not meditation? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would be likely to inquire a little further. Like, uh, that sounds like it's an effective means of relaxation for you, but are there any? Are there any drawbacks um, to that particular thing? Yeah. Or, you know, do you think it might be, or would you be interested in exploring ways to relax which weren't dependent on your Netflix subscription or your trip to Dan Murphy's or, you mm. know, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever it is? Mm. Um, and again, yeah, like, that's almost like exactly, and it's not like, it's, not, it's not offering advice. It's just kind of inquiring and maybe yeah. encouraging curiosity. Yeah, yeah, seeing what the what the person themselves thinks, really. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. um, okay. So I'm just maybe just going to throw a few more kind of things that I've heard before, and one of them is mm -hmm. I go to sleep when I try to meditate. So there's a sense of like. I can't meditate because I always go to sleep. And my, my ex-partner used to say this quite often. She used to just, you know, um, go to sleep or be in, be in pain. So there's, like, there's two, two that are coming up for me at the moment. What would you say to someone that maybe felt like that? Mm. Um, it would be a similar approach. First, first thing I might ask, how do you know that you're asleep? Because I think that's, Often, very frequently, people assume they have gone to sleep. Um, in other words, they are, well, I would say they might be mistaking a sleep-like experience. A, a, it could be a heaviness of the body. Uh, uh, it could be a drowsiness. It could be just that their thoughts are appearing to them in a much more random, fragmented way. Um, their thoughts rather than a kind of uh, linear, cohesive kind of narrative, uh, maybe fleeting images or fleeting imagery just popping up, random imagery popping into their mind. So this is a type of thinking, but it's a type of thinking that uh, they normally only experience when they're asleep or when they're dreaming. So it's kind of it's kind of a dream-like or a sleep-like quality to their experience. Um, another way of putting it is um, people often, I feel, see sleep and wakefulness as binary. It's an on-off switch. You're either awake or you're other. asleep. Mm. Whereas I see it as a, a spectrum where you've got at the top end of the spectrum highly awake, alert, or even, you know, panicked, fearful. It's, you know, this, if you're panicking, you're very awake, very alert. And then there might be um, 
stages where you're kind of, yeah, probably effervescent, um, then wakeful, then awake but feeling tired <laughs> or fatigued, um, and then, yeah, drowsy, dull. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a whole spectrum there. And in meditation, you're accessing the lower half or the lower reaches of that spectrum. Um, and non-meditators may not have consciously explored the nuances of all those. So as soon as they kind of tip into that territory, they think, oh, I'm asleep, because that's what it reminds me of. But in fact, um, they're actually, if they can say I was sleepy, then in fact they were awake. You know? <laughs> yeah. If they were actually asleep, they wouldn't know. <laughs> There's a sense of also labelling those um, stages in the spectrum as good or bad or maybe uncomfortable or unusual um whatever it could be and what's coming up for me is just this this idea of actually i've heard i think it was shin zen young i'm not sure if you've come across his work before he's mm -hmm. kind of mentioned that there's actually like a beauty in one of those kind of spaces that's actually like the aim is to be there or or at least when you're there you you hang out there for a little while yeah yeah exactly but i think yeah, it's interesting um some people don't like to feel drowsy um, for for some reason. Um, they don't like a kind of sleepy feeling. They they feel they want to be up, stimulated. Maybe they're associated with kind of uh, sadness, depression. Maybe they were depressed at some point, or they just they've been taught, or somehow they just yeah they don't like the kind of low energy, sad, melancholy, relaxed <laughs> kind of spaces. Um, so they kind of resist relaxation itself. Um, I think, yeah, this yeah, relaxation itself, which is in my mind a, a very pleasant, you know, nice space, um, can, can be kind of uncomfortable or threatening for some people. Um, it's almost like a loss of control too. Can I think can come into that? It's like to to let go of wakefulness is to kind of let go of consciousness, to let go in a way, to to kind of have to have a trust that things will be okay if I just drop my guard. That people mightn't feel safe enough to do that. So, yeah, yeah this that quite came, a lot. Yeah, the idea of the loss of control. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. There's plenty there, and I think. This keeps coming up every time I um, speak to you, Matt, actually, this idea comes up and I think there's so many layers to it. It's the idea of, it's just the parallel between meditation and life. And I guess you can kind of draw a parallel between anything in life, but um, for example, playing the keyboard, like we discussed yes. earlier, but with yeah. meditation in life, there seems to be these, these lessons that come up throughout life that you know, directly relate to the meditative experience and this sense of, um, as a perfect example, this sense of letting go of control um, can be quite beneficial both in meditation and in life I've found. And, mm. and other, other little, you know, beautiful, just, it's like everything, I, I, I'm not sure about everything, but it seems like almost every little pointer that you've, you've provided me in the past has a sort of link to life in a way. And I find that fascinating. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I see medit I think meditation should be a microcosm of life. 
Uh, and I, I say that because often meditation is kind of compartmentalized. It's almost like it's a part, uh, yeah, separate from life. You know, even in, you know, sometimes the recommendation is that you find a special meditation time and place. So it's like, here's your life. Here's your meditation. Here's, meditation is this like greenhouse environment or glasshouse, which is completely separate. It allows you to escape or retreat from life. Um, and I think that has its benefits. Um, it's, it's not, I'm not saying that's not useful um, or good in some ways. But like you say, if meditation is kind of incorporated, integrated with life, um, then, yeah, it can then, influence life and vice versa practice can influence life life can influence practice rather than having them kind of discrete separate things yeah is it this is actually a question i wrote down for you when i was thinking about our chat and it's this idea of i've heard it come up in a number of different contexts but it's the idea of like creating a bridge or um you know beginning to build that bridge between your i guess practice or whatever that may look like for yourself um and life so is there anything you could share around that space of like you know maybe fusing the two although it seems like they're already together in a lot of ways like there's maybe not too much you need to do but um i'm sure there are things that can help um you know allow that to be uh more of an obvious thing or more of a mm. useful thing in life, or maybe not useful, so maybe useful is not the right word, but yeah, there can be a, a, a marriage to take that could take place, I guess. Um, once mm. that's a conscious, um, when that once that's kind of a conscious thing, when you're when you're aware of um how connected your practice is with life. Mm. Well, yeah, I think that's uh, skills can be very context dependent. Mm -hmm. um, or skill acquisition. So you, know, you could become an expert at finding calm whilst you're sitting on your butt meditating. Mm. Um, but that does not necessarily transfer into your life of work, your life in peak hour traffic, your um, life in relationship, et cetera, et cetera. It can, and it does for some people, but um, not necessarily. So I think you have to look closely to see whether it is the case for you. Um, and if not, then you have to very consciously apply the skills or attitudes or ways of relating to experience that you've developed in meditation and apply them um, where they're needed at the at the key points or key moments in your life. I think that's why that's I think we often use the word meditation practice just by default. Um without thinking, okay, what why do we call it practice? because uh, it's not the real thing. You know? <laughs> it's practice for life, maybe. You know? mm. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I was just yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's kind of thinking like maybe life's just one big meditation and there's a sense of what you're saying about the spectrum of dream states 
you know, maybe that's just another state of in the spectrum when we're awake and we're in real life, I guess. And then when we're practicing, maybe that's just another space on the spectrum, you know, um, you, do you know what I mean? Like I could be driving and I could be in a meditative state while driving mm. and that would look very different to what we were talking about earlier with this, you know, drinking red wine or um, watching TV. So if it's all a sense of a state of being, um, yeah, it just seems mm. like that, I don't know, it's just like a different frame, I guess. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of, you might be familiar with Osho. No, not really. I haven't read his stuff, oh, but um, people yeah. have kind of mentioned him quite often, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely a bit of a character. Um, but I remember in one of his books, he said, you know, a happy person doesn't need to meditate um, because they are. It's it's a natural state of, well, they are meditating because it's, it's just who they are or the way they are. They're infused in that way of paying attention, that way of attending to, to life as it unfolds. So in that way, yeah, that's his, he's saying exactly what you did. You know, life is meditation or life mm. can be. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I've got quite a few things coming up, but I kind of want to stay on track with the, this accessibility and maybe just throw a few more um, little ideas out there for maybe people on the beginning of their journey. And then I think when we kind of shift into this next phase, we might be able to uh, just had a thought. Maybe we could, um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't even know how to explain this, but I was thinking maybe um, the accessibility kind of things, it could probably hit anyone at any part of their journey whether they've been meditating for three days or whether they've been meditating for 10 years like um lessons seem to hit us at different points so yeah i just yeah i was just thinking maybe um we could do a couple more do you know is there anything that comes up for you when i say common um common reasons people feel like they're incapable of meditating what would be the most common reason you come across or you've come across before i think the most common one is i can't meditate because i can't stop thinking i can't clear my mind or some variation of that <clears throat> that would probably be the biggest i was going to say i can't meditate because i don't have the time that's certainly an issue too, but that's that one's less common now because you know the recommendation always used to be that you need to find 20 minutes in your quiet place to you know set aside time to meditate. But that model is not really so prevalent anymore with the kind of proliferation of apps with you know two-minute meditations and five-minute meditations. So people don't have that unrealistic expectation or that expectation that I have to set a whole lot of time aside. They recognise I can do it in short bites or integrate it into my life. I think that's still still a kind of issue for some people. But yeah, the bigger one and the more yeah the more common one is yeah I can't meditate because I can't clear my mind. What do you do when you can't clear your mind, or what do you do when you feel like um, there's a lot going on during a meditation practice? Mm. Um, 
there isn't <laughs> typically for me. <laughs> um, what do you sorry? What do you mean by there isn't? Uh, well, I don't care whether my mind is uh, whether I'm thinking or not. Um, I can be I equally can have a satisfactory, relaxing, pleasant yeah, a meditation experience of which I'm totally yeah satisfied. It seems what you're pointing to is the judgment of the experience or how we kind of relate to what we're going through. Yeah, actually, I was thinking about this today. Um, I was actually listening to a different podcast on a new therapy called metacognitive metacognitive therapy. Um, And so I would say I'm, I'm very aware of my thoughts. Um, so, and what that means is I have a choice about how I relate to them. You know, if you're, if you have less developed awareness of thinking, then you could spend uh, 20 minutes or an hour or half a day or a week ruminating on something that stresses you out worries, concerns, or you might just be incessantly planning, or you might be, you know, very self-critical and judgmental. You might be wondering, what do they, what does that person think of me? Or what, what did they mean when they said this? Doing all kinds of unhelpful thinking could be going on inside your head. Um, But because you're not, because that's kind of happening automatically, you're not sufficiently aware to notice it and decide, is this where I want to direct my attention? Is this what I want to pay attention to? Um, so in contrast to that, I'm aware of my thoughts. Um, and to the degree that I, I rarely get caught up in them. Um, and because I rarely get caught up in them, they have much less energy, much less momentum. They so they're not problematic, or they're not. Un, I'm not having a whole lot of unhelpful thoughts, uh, and because that that means I have no resistance to my thinking and no fear of my thinking. I know that my thinking doesn't just. It's not a disturbance. It won't upset me. It won't annoy me. Um, I can welcome. I can have a very welcoming even kind of loving attitude, if you like, loving or accepting attitude to my thoughts. I'm like, ah, how are you doing? And that's my kind of default attitude to my thoughts. It's like they're a part of me and I'll treat them like another person. Um, Has it always been that way? Was it like that in in your very first meditation, for example? No, I did. I, I certainly wouldn't have explained my relationship to my thoughts in that way. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have even considered the relationship to my thoughts important. I would have been much more probably aware of the content of my thinking or concerned with the content. I would have thought it's important what I'm thinking about um, or whether I'm thinking or not. Yeah. And a different emphasis now. It's what is the relationship with my thoughts? 
Hmm. And do you feel like I, I, I kind of acknowledge that everyone has an individual experience, but do you feel like there's like the meditators pattern of some sort, or do you feel like there's a similarities between journeys? That's quite universal when it comes to meditation. Can you clarify that question? Well, do you feel like there's, I sometimes I get this sense and it's just like an, an intuitive thing, I guess. It's just a feeling. So I'm not really sure what it means or where it stands, but it's this idea that like, um, you know, there seems to be similarities in people's, in the way that people come to that relationship with their thoughts, um, that people that meditate. So it seems like pr pretty much everyone that I know that meditates can, would probably say a similar thing to what you've just expressed. And this, this sense of like the, the evolution of the relationship with their experience seems to be there in one way or another. Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's inevitable. Um, and I think the trajectory or the, the speed of progress is not necessarily linear or the same for all, but mm. yeah, definitely. Um, it's very typical for beginners to, or, or people who are, you know, kind of anxious or depressed or highly stressed to really struggle with their thinking in some way. Um, they wanted to stop, <laughs> basically. They want some rest, some respite from it. Whereas, yeah, more experienced meditators say, like, oh, uh, they're not really concerned. They don't have those concerns. Mm -hmm. um, Is there so, anything yeah, you I, might be able to say? to someone but i think maybe it might be a nice time to transition into another section but um would there be anything kind of like a last thought or any little um maybe a gift you could give someone that that may be in that realm at the moment of feeling like you know uh, things are a little bit too much and they can't they can't stop thinking and they and they um they really struggle with meditation because it's quite uncomfortable and and, and they they want it to yeah, what mm. they what they were hoping for isn't really coming into being, and it's unsatis. It's usually an unsatisfactory experience. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, when it comes to thinking, I'd say, and this this is can be super counterintuitive, but the single most useful, helpful thing to do is to um, yeah can. to try and develop a healthy, harmonious relationship with the thoughts. Let that be the goal. Um, so the goal is not to get rid of them or to make them all positive or slow down or something. Um, it's recognising that the thoughts themselves um, are neither good nor bad. Um, and it's, yeah, it's the relationship with them that creates the outcome. So if you want a peaceful mind, you have to create a good relationship with the thoughts. Um, be kind to them. Um, treat them like they're not a problem. Well, uh, the other way to look at it is if you're having a battle with your thoughts, if you're rejecting them, then they will feel rejected and they will feel like they have to fight back, they, that they have to shout for your attention. So if you try to shut them down, push them away, repress them, then invariably they're going to get worse. 
So it's maybe even just suspend that behavior momentarily as an experiment. So yeah, what happens when I just say, okay, thoughts, you can do your thing. I'm just going to sit back and watch. There's a, there's a lot more to unpack with that, but that's, that's the general. Yeah, um, I think that would be very helpful. Message, yeah. And again, the parallel to life comes up like it, with emotions or with certain situations, you know, if you treat things that in, in that kind of a way, they're more likely, I feel, it seems like, um, to work out rather than be repressed and come back and come back maybe heavier in some way. Yeah. That's why I say it's so useful to personify them. Imagine they were yeah. another person, you know, if another person's in your face and you just you know, yell at them and hit them or... <laughs> Um, then yeah how, it's, how yeah. effective is that as a way of creating health and harmony yeah. know, a good relationship yeah yeah um, yeah so yeah thank you for sharing all of that and i hope that helps cool. some someone out there listening or you out there listening um so i was wondering would you be open to sharing a little bit more about your experience oh, I, you've, I, just, you've just frozen well that's okay end. you mean the sound or the video or both Sound, video, both, we're back. Yeah, we're back. We just froze momentarily. Sound yeah. and video all went. Just frozen. Okay, maybe that was a sign. <laughs> Be careful where you're going with this. <laughs> um, yeah, I was just wondering if you, you'd be open to sharing a little bit. I know people usually do this at the start of episodes, but I'm really, really <laughs> curious about a couple of things, Matt. And, and one of them is, and this is just, you know, I don't know how like, it's just something that's coming up. So I'm just going to throw it out there. It's this idea of just being curious about your own experience. And, you know, there's this sense of, there's a sense of like um, the possibility of chasing kind of, kind of ecstatic experiences within, you know, the realm of motivations when it comes to meditation and, um, also shying away, like we just spoke about these more difficult, heavier, um, um, talkative, um, chatty experiences. So I was just wondering if, you know, you'd be open to sharing if you've actually like maybe some of your, some of your experiences that may be on the more intense side of the spectrum, whether ecstatic or, um, really heavy. I don't know. Seems like a big thing to ask someone now that I'm saying it, but there is a curiosity there. So, mm. yeah, well, I think two things immediately pop to mind. Um, one is just how I was introduced to meditation, because um, that was I don't know whether intense is the word, but certainly surprising and compelling. So. Um, I was in India, kind of backpacking, um, and I should stress that I I hadn't gone to India to you know do the ashram thing or you know learn to meditate from the, the Indian masters. Um, far from it. Um, I was actually uh, living in the UK, um, but my time up or well, time was up there basically. Um, my visa had run out. I, I wanted to stay, but um, basically, I got kicked out of the UK. You got to go. You got to go. Yeah. Got to go. Yeah. And I didn't want to come home because I was loving it so much. So I thought, well, where can I go next? I thought, well, 
Asia is in between London and Brisbane, which is where I was from. Um, and so I, I flew from London to Calcutta, headed up into Nepal, and then came back down into India and ended up in Varanasi, Banaras, Banaras, I call it now, um, which is uh, part of northern India on the Ganges where they have the burning ghats. Uh, it's a wild, wild place. And when I was there, someone said, um, when in India, you should study yoga. And well, who is this person? Sorry. I can't recall exactly. I think it might have been another backpacker, actually. It's the whisper in the ear. Yeah. And I kind of thought, why the hell would I want to do that? Um, <laughs> this yoga wasn't the kind of popular thing it is today on every block. Um, I kind of just thought it was uh, training for contortionists. You know? And I had no intention of joining the circus. I thought, why the hell would I you know, spend any time bothering with yoga? But this, this guy must have convinced me somehow because I ended up doing five hours of yoga a day for three months. So wait, you, you were, you were, how did you get from this is for contortionists to that amount? Um, Cause that's quite a bit of yoga. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, obviously it wasn't someone to do something by halves, was it? Um, that was, I guess this guy just recommended I think it's, he said, go and see Raju. <laughs> <laughs> and this was Raju's schedule, was it? Like just. This is Raju's schedule. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there was, there was heaps of yoga schools for, for backpackers in Varanasi. Um, but yeah, this was, yeah, just one little dude, um, running his thing. But anyway, um, each afternoon we were instructed to meditate. Um, although instructed might be. Uh, not quite the right word, because essentially uh, at some point in the afternoon, Raju would say, sit, stay, and then he would wander off. He'd leave us there for half an hour. He'd just disappear. <laughs> um, who knows where he went? Um, and it was funny because we were in the top floor of a three-story building, and the top floor didn't actually have walls. It kind of had half a wall and then it was just open to the elements. It had a tin roof. Uh, and periodically monkeys would come bounding across the roof, screeching and clamoring, and all the kids would come home from school and they'd be yelling and flying their kites and there'd be meal preparation and domestic disputes kind of going on downstairs. So it was a racket, you know. So you wouldn't say necessarily the most conducive, peaceful, meditative space. It's thrown in the deep end by Raju. That's very right. Like sit, stay, thrown in the deep end. Yeah, no instructions <laughs> other than sit and stay. Um, and yet, uh, I can't exactly remember what happened on the first day, uh, but on the second and third, or the second day, I started getting very hot, <clears throat> um, like sweating, um, like, yeah, I actually felt like I was going to, I was worried that I was going to spontaneously combust. So that was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the third day, that intensified even to the, such a degree that I felt like hot wax was just going to come bursting out of my ears. So it's getting hot and I was shaking and sweating. Um, so I thought, what's going on here? 
this is weird. I'm just sitting. I'm not doing anything. It's not, it's, there's a nice cool breeze. It's not actually that hot, but I'm, I'm yeah, really, really sweating. Um, and so that was, that was pretty intriguing. Um, that didn't usually happen when I sat, you know, not that I tried sitting still for half an hour in one go before, but yeah, that was unusual. So that, that really piqued my interest. I thought, hmm, so there's something to this. Um, and I'm pretty sure I asked Raju what was going on or what the hell, you know, was this normal or, you know, the typical, typical questions you might ask when you have an unusual experience like that. And I remember being totally unsatisfied with his answer. I think he might have said, oh, that's Kundalini or something or other. Um, I can't even remember what he said, but I remember I was unsatisfied with it. So that kind of set me on the path, like, find out. What is this? What's going on? What is meditation all about? Um, so that was kind of a life-changing moment in a way. Um, you know, I suddenly went from no interest in yoga and meditation to um, a compulsion almost to explore meditation in every shape, way or form I could. Um, so that's that's one one experience. I think a more useful experience to share, because this shows the kind of healing potential, if you like, of meditation. Or I was on a retreat, and I remember periodically, in whilst I was meditating, I would feel a bit nauseous, a bit queasy. And it was when I felt this nausea, this queasiness, I associated it with or it reminded me of a, a, a recurring dream that I had since my teens, maybe even earlier, um, in which I was chased by the Michelin man, or this big fat Michelin man would just chase me. And of course, you know, in that kind of dream where you're being chased, you, in, you're just running and running and running. I'm too scared to look behind or stop. Um, and so, yeah, I'd be meditating periodically and this feeling would come up and it was kind of overwhelming. You know, there's that fear and terror of being chased by some monster. Um, but, of course, the the guidance in meditation when it comes to any kind of discomfort um, is often yeah, just sit with it, notice it, pay attention, be curious. Um And eventually I developed the capacity to actually, and there's, there's one specific time I was on retreat and this feeling came up. But it was, I was already pretty relaxed. I was in a pretty calm, peaceful place when this happened. So that gave me the capacity just to, to not to run. Um, you, know, you might say not to run psychologically, not to, not to try and get out of this moment or out of this experience. So I just sat with it. I said, ah, what, what does this actually feel like? Um, and I noticed a yeah, kind of whole lot of sensation was kind of within my body, heat, pressure, so on and so forth. And I just watched and the sensations just changed. They just kept changing. It kind of, it's like morphing, shifting, moving. Uh, and the pain and the fear the difficulty kind of 
was just dissolving, was just evaporating from the experience to the point that it actually became really, really pleasant. Like I'm just sitting there kind of buzzing, glowing. Um, and at that very moment, the thought popped into my mind, I'm never going to have that dream again. And I haven't. Um, and that was uh, probably 10 years ago now. Um, so, yeah, I just thought I'd share that because it's a, it's a kind of interesting in many ways. And I think that, I mean, that's, it kind of shows the potential of meditation. It sounds quite liberating, actually. It sounds It sounds yeah. quite like you're freed of something that you've mm-hmm. been trapped in the cycle of. Mm-hmm. And and yeah. that cycle seems to be a running away of some sort. Mm-hmm. So, but it's it what I'm hearing is there's like there was in that moment the closure of some kind of a of a circle and the completion of some kind of a journey, whatever that is, some you know, who knows, some deeper unconscious thing. And mm-hmm. it definitely sounds quite transformative and, and quite healing and, and liberating. It sounds like yeah, like wow. And mm-hmm. what an impact that that moment must have had on you like yeah especially if you've been having that dream all your life Mm. well it's funny when you said what an impact that had on you it's it's funny in that it in some ways it hardly had an impact at all and i need to explain it's like it was Mm. just like ah, shrug my shoulders big deal (laughs) yeah so like something that was so massive is now like yeah no yeah, worries. exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, it's almost, it just, it just sounds like something was healed and there's like some change, but then there's like almost like a, yeah, like a dropping of a weight of some sort. Um, mm. But then it not being a big deal because it's just like, yeah, okay. It was, but yeah, no longer is. Exactly. Yeah. You're in a new moment yeah. and there's a new, you know, every, yeah, things are constantly yeah. in shift. That's yeah. so interesting. Mm. Yeah, and it, it doesn't sound like an everyday kind of experience, really. Yeah, yeah. But I, I should stress that you know, it, that's not an isolated experience. That's a particularly memorable one. Yep. But there are many, many other instances of similar, um, maybe less dramatic, but similar kind of uh, experiences that had similar qualities. Yeah. And I think that those experiences have developed my capacity to tolerate and or they develop your confidence in your capacity to tolerate be with uh experience life as it is that's what it, it's like ah, i can it's like this is workable i can deal with this whatever whatever life throws at me we can deal with this i think that's that it's like you're soaking well, meditation has the potential to allow you to kind of marinate in that kind of, um, I'm going to call it flexible confidence. Yeah, that's a great way of putting putting it. Yeah, there's a sense of like, but also there's this thing, there's this idea of like, you weren't really trying to do that. You weren't really trying <laughs> to close that loop. And it wasn't no. like you were striving towards that. It just kind of, was a little gift, I guess, that had arisen unexpectedly. And you're like, okay, thank you. And let's, let's keep kind of being, you know, and 
Yeah. yeah I, I feel like peppered within a meditation journey or even a life, there's so many of those little gifts that tend to arise. Um, yeah. And I think that's oh. kind of another, maybe another little pattern that I've noticed within other people that have meditated that there are those gifts, you know, they might have different shapes and forms, but oh. it, it seems like they, you know, they, they, um, they're quite prevalent. Yeah. That's, that's interesting too, that, you know, it was definitely not something I was seeking. I wasn't meditating to, you know, rid myself of the Michelin man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all the gifts, uh, or many of the gifts are completely, yeah, like um, unexpected. The, the grace seems to be the word that you probably use. You know, they just come up. But there was yeah. that, even though there's not a, a striving for a particular outcome or, um, not tied to that story there still seems to be a fact that you sat down and you meditated so there's almost like um there is some motion involved on your end there is some, like you are kind of inviting that in or, or you're making that the potentially the potentiality kind of um you're you're almost like inviting that in in a way um but not specifically and not um not kind of what's the word you're not deciding between different things you're quite open to whatever whatever happens there and i think by being that kind of a flexible like you mentioned earlier i can't remember what you what the specific term was um flexible confidence though. yeah with by having that sense of flexible confidence i think you're kind of opening up your your potentiality in a lot of different positive i don't know positive or negative but a lot of different beautiful directions mm. um yeah yeah it's so nice and there's something really nice about this idea of just doing it for its own sake like you're just yeah. you're meditating but you haven't got you know uh, we've spoken before about these these ideas of okay like i'm meditating to heal or i'm meditating to grow on a you know personal development basis or i'm or i'm meditating for some kind of a spiritual connection or growth and there's nothing wrong with any of those avenues but there's also something nice about just just meditating like, yeah. like there's Take no the pressure off the poor thing <laughs> yeah yeah right. and then yeah. again linking that to life as well like yeah. like okay i'm yeah. just going to like live my life and let go of these kind of um you know these pressures mm. as, as as you know i'm not saying that like it's an easy thing to do or anything like that and that in itself could become a kind of a pressure but there's a sense of like something nice about that mm. Mm. yeah it's interesting meditation does often come with um, well it's like i need a reason to meditate um or we uh, you know, we do lots of things without having to have a reason you know, why you go for a walk or you sit down for dinner um do you need a reason to do those things <laughs> <laughs> they're just mm. done for their own sake yeah even like the reason you went to india sounds like it's a bit like that even though you didn't want to go home but there's this sense of travel that comes up for me like um i, I once heard this someone speak about um reasons like interesting ways to get to places like one of them was like you just sift through a bunch of old postcards and you just choose one <laughs> random or 
you yeah. you know receive you just you know flip through something and you spontaneously go in some kind of a direction or you you know just this sense of you know you don't doesn't matter what the reason you got to a place is really it's mm. just the fact that you're you're there in that moment and that's all that really yeah. matters yeah 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 cool okay so what do we say now i'm not being so mindful we said we'll explore the idea of accessibility and then maybe yeah. move into some stories and i i do appreciate you sharing those matt because um yeah it's nice when 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 there's when there's openness and um the stories like stories like that are really i think special so i do appreciate that um and then what do we say we we're going to do after that can you recall what Pretty i fun. mentioned yeah, free flow. I guess we've been kind of doing that the whole time. And I'm looking at <laughs> my notes here and kind of seeing what questions. So that's not really free flow. So I won't do that. Um, I, yeah, I just, I'd like to know, and maybe this is a, a nice little seed, but is there, you know, how do you see meditation in the world today? What do you see as, um, like, what's your perspective on meditation in this um, day and age? Maybe where you are, even you know, in a Western society like Australia. And I don't know, like, I, I know this is kind of maybe asking you to put some limitations on it, but I don't mean the question like that. I just want to know your perspective on meditation and, and where, we're, how you see things. That's what I'd like. I'd mm. like to sit and see things from your perspective. Mm. Uh, it's definitely uh, much more, popular and uh, more accepted than it was when I started out, um, worlds apart, I'm still continually amazed, however, how many people have very dated, stereotypical views of meditation. The kind of, yeah, I was going to say from the 60s, but maybe actually not just from the 60s, but maybe from you know, 2,000 years ago, <laughs> um, or for a very monastic view of meditation, I guess. Um, even with people who are introduced to the meditation through apps, they still have, you know, I've got to sit, I don't know, I hear even like a, Someone will go in to a kindergarten and tell the five-year-olds we're going to meditate. And someone there, some of those five-year-olds will immediately um, put their hands in the typical kind of mudra <laughs> and sit cross-legged, yeah. <laughs> close their eyes and you know, chant, oh, how does that, where do they pick up that from? <laughs> you know, why does that stereotype, how does it get into their little you know, you think their little heads, which you think would be free of all those things. Um, so, yeah, I'm amazed at how prevalent that is. And I'm amazed at how uh, there is a general kind of distrust of the mind. Um, like the mind is dangerous. The well, mind and thoughts and emotions um, are seen. You know, you know some of the some of the common metaphors, like monkey mind or 
meditation, your job is to tame the mind or tame the emotions. Uh, like a, yeah, like they're a wild, like they're wild beasts or something. And I guess maybe they feel like that to some people. Um, but you know, we look at it just popped into my head, like animal training. Um, uh, like it used to be you you broke in a horse. When I look, listen to that terminology, you you broke you break it in, you break the horse. Um, that's not a particularly kind of doesn't seem like a particularly nice or kind of enlightened um, kind of way to treat another creature. Um, but then you also hear you know, the, the horse whisperer. And you think of think of someone breaking their horse in, and think of a horse whisperer. And there's a whole different attitude and approach. And I think we're still breaking in our minds in the meditation world, rather than whispering to them. Um, hmm. That's yeah. That's I don't know if that's actually the case everywhere, but that's kind of what I kind of see. Um, I think we can, yeah, do some more mind whispering. <laughs> yeah, that sounds beautiful. So we've got um, <laughs> what was that flexible one that you used earlier? <laughs> flexible confidence. <laughs> yeah, flexible confidence and mind brand. whispering. Just... I got to write these down. This is good. <laughs> and is are there any areas where your curiosity is is kind of um? alive these days in terms of the meditative experience are there any any areas after doing it for you know so long now and and being in this space um because it sounds like india was quite a, quite a time ago at a different a different moment in in yeah, you know yeah. in in the way of things but is there anywhere that's sparking your interest now that's actually like still exciting for you and still worth kind of um exploring um yeah. in this moment yeah yeah, um, I've, I think I've mentioned emotions a couple of times in passing. Yeah. Uh, and I think emotions do, um, often play a surprisingly small role in meditation or in, in meditation instruction. And, and not, in my experience, emotions aren't kind of considered an integral part of meditation or an integral concern of the practice. You know, it's, a, it's kind of described as mind training, attention management. Um, you don't often hear you know, emotions described in the definition, let's say, of meditation. Um, and usually when there are instructions, it's around how do we work with emotions? Um, how do we how do we find them less troublesome and less bothersome? Um, whereas I see, and this is yeah certainly different to when I began. Uh, I think emotions are kind of uh, one of the essential aspects of life. So it's, to be human is to be emotional in a way. You know, so say if you're a robot. I've got a mind, you've got an intellect, or you've, you've 
maybe not a mind, but you've got this logical apparatus, but you lack emotion. Um, so yeah, humans humans are emotional beings. Um, and if we're working, well, see, there's a lot of pen, lot, lot of potential um, it, for meditation to really help us to uh, better understand and appreciate our emotional lives. I think meditation is a great place for, um, yeah, to study the appreciation of emotions and, and their value. So that's that's what, that's kind of, that, that's the intersection where I kind yeah. of really interested in finding out how can we, how can I contribute to the development of that area. Mm. And have you come up with any ideas? Oh, well, just mentioning it is a start. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Normalising it. Um, yeah, there is, and I increasingly stumble across interesting researchers and authors on this topic who are talking about emotions in very new and different ways to um, what we have traditionally. Um, Any you could throw out there so I could kind of just add them on for people to look into? Yeah. So um, Carla McLaren. Yep. Um, then there's Lisa Feldman Barrett, who wrote her book was How Emotions Are Made. Mm-hmm. Carla's got several different books, The Language of Emotions. Um, I recently came across a YouTube channel, Therapy in a Nutshell, um, by Emma, Emma McAdam. And she has a 30-part series called How to Process Your Emotions. I haven't made my way all the way through that, but that looks like a really good resource. And I also read a book, uh, title escapes me. Um, uh, why good feeling? Why bad feelings are good? Why good? Why bad feelings are good? Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Well, fine. Uh, yeah. Well, good good reasons for bad feelings. I think that's a nice title. Yeah, um, and that was from a who's um, a psychiatrist, kind of neuroscience or evolutionary psychology. I think was part of that, but it had some really fascinating stories too. Um, about repressed emotions and how they manifested in weird physical ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, good good reasons for bad feelings. Yeah, that's um, an interesting topic. How how um repressed emotions have come back and almost bitten you in the ass a little bit um in physical ways. Yeah. Well. Well, I'll tell you one. This is the most one of those really great stories. I like these kind of stories from, from that book. Yeah. Uh, so this psychiatrist was actually referred a patient because the patient had a right arm was paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So she'd been to all the the doctors um, for a physical checkup, and they said there's nothing wrong with your arm. 
<laughs> so she eventually got shunned to the psychiatrist because, you know, seemingly there was nothing physically wrong or neurologically wrong with the arm at all. Um, and so this guy is uh, having a consultation with this lady with the paralyzed arm. And um, he said he, she wasn't very open. You know, she couldn't really get much out of her on what was going on in her life. She's kind of, yeah, um, she was just concerned with the paralyzed arm. She wanted to fix it. Um, but they kind of obviously asked about a relationship and so on. And then finally, at the very end of the session, um, just as she was about to leave, like she'd got up and she was kind of walking out of the room, uh, he said, ah, so what would you really like to do to your husband? And she lifted up her paralyzed arm. I said, I'd like to stab him in the back. <laughs> and he said, oh, did you just see what you did? You just lifted your paralyzed arm because she she actually made the motion of stabbing her husband in the back. <laughs> um, and he pointed out, oh, look, you just you just lifted your arm, and she she denied it. She's no, my arm's paralyzed. Okay, it doesn't move. Ah, that's interesting. So, so you know this this thought that she wanted to stab her husband in the back was so you know inappropriate in her own mind. So horrifying that she paralyzed her whole arm um as a response or or that, that was yeah probably the uh, husband it's probably a good thing for the husband the arm was paralyzed <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, but, wow. you know, and there's lots there's an amazing number of extraordinary cases like that um which are obviously extreme but um they kind of i mean it just points to how fascinating we are or, or the, the amazing kind of solutions mentally and emotionally. Yeah, what comes up for me is the idea of mystery. Like there's so much mystery in life that we just, there's so much we don't know, you know? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, that's, there's something to kind of, to stand in awe about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. As you can remain completely unconscious of the motivations and the, the kind of mechanism at work, how much kind of, uh, yeah, how ignorant we are. Of, I feel like we're all a bit like that in our own yeah. ways. Yeah. 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 It's quite amazing. Yeah. And that's why I think it's so nice to do things like this and have conversations and connect with other people's perspectives and, yeah, just kind of interact with other people and, I think there's almost like a like we we're able to color in a little bit more of the picture when we do that. Yeah. 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 And yeah, it sounds like <laughs> wow. I'm just picture I'm just kind of imagining being in someone like like in her position with that specific scenario though. Um <laughs> yeah, but I do feel like we're all a bit like that. Um mm. yeah, and I think meditation helps with that as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might seem like we just went on a strange tangent um, bringing up that story. But, you know, that's, you ask me you know, kind of what excites me or fascinates me. And no, 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 that is fascinating. That's, that's yeah. um yeah, it's an interesting space to explore. And I'll definitely be checking out that that series as well. It sounds like, um yeah, like from what you've 
um, uncovered so far that it sounds like you feel like it's a it's an interesting direction to head in and mm. um, that definitely pricks my ears up yeah yeah there's lots of potential there yeah um, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like in a sense like yeah this has been around for a long time and we're talking quite a long time and it's gone through various transitions and you know evolved in different ways and there still seems to be so much space for exploration and creativity and um, you know, um, remixing, like what's got me exciting recently is this idea of like remixing elements of different styles of meditation and bringing that together in, in some kind of a, a different way that maybe fits people and, you know, makes it more accessible to people that, you know, um, might want to try things a little bit differently, you know, or might want to experiment with a whole bunch of different things and see what fits. Um, so Yeah. yeah. So yeah, thank you for sharing that as well. So would you be down to, um, yeah, I'm just kind of cognizant of time. I don't want to run this uh, too long and take up too much yes. more of your time, Matt, but I was wondering if you might be still open to, you know, doing a short meditation with us and guiding, sure. guiding us sure. all through a, a bit of a journey. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, any sense of how long and what kind of theme or themes? Well, Oh, well, we could go in emotion since we're already on that topic. And um, yeah, I think you've done this once <laughs> before. He's like, throw out a bunch of things and we'll see how this goes. Um, uh, so I guess emotion might be one of them. Um, we could leave. Yeah, improvisation, spontaneity. And um, yeah, uh, uh, the word openness comes to mind for some reason. Um, yeah, let's leave it at that, I guess. Yeah. All right, I'll see what I can come up with. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm tempted. One of my rules of thumbs in life is to do the opposite. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes that's a bit of a rebellious kind of streak or quality, but sometimes doing the opposite can be really educational. What, what do you mean by doing the opposite? Tell me just before we began. Just... Well, uh, we can start by sitting uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> and making no effort whatsoever to relax. Okay. Let's get back into this uncomfortable position I was in before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. We'll just start by sitting uncomfortably and making no effort to relax. And that's been, we're extending a little curiosity to the quality of that experience. So it's kind of an encouragement not to rush into a kind of meditative posture or a meditative attitude or a habitual meditative posture or attitude. And so just to check in with this moment. Maybe just to decide how to proceed a little more intuitively. Instead of relying on what you've heard or what you've been told or read. 
You might just decide for yourself what's appropriate in this moment. What adjustments would I like to make? You might even say, Hi there, legs. What would you like? And then if they answer in some way, you might rearrange the lower half of the body. You might adjust your posture. It's just according to your own preferences. You might also say, Hi there, brain. What's up? And just notice how the brain responds. Does your brain seem interested in? Perhaps more importantly, notice how you're responding to this moment. Notice how you're responding to your experience, whatever's going on in your body, in your mind, in the environment around. Could you say that you are totally ease, totally at ease with what's happening? Well, there are aspects of experience that you resist. You might take a moment to pick out the one thing that discomforts you the most.
could be an irritating or a slightly irritating sound that you can hear. Could be some discomfort in the body. It could be a mind that's a little busier than you'd prefer. And you might just say to yourself, we can deal with this. Maybe it's not quite so bad as I'm making out. What would it be like to let this moment be okay, just as it is? Just briefly noticing the expression on your face. And explore what it might be like to make that expression seem a little softer, a little more neutral. Would the expression be like if you were either sound asleep or quite content? And then we'll just take a little brief excursion into the world of emotion. And can you start just by asking, is there anything I'm pleased with, happy about, glad to have experienced in the last day or two?
just notice how that contemplation kind of resonates in the body. And similarly, ask whether there's anything that's been a little disappointing. And see if you can welcome any sensations, any impressions that arise in the same way that you welcome those associated with pleasure or happiness. Just letting those feelings kind of drift through the body, through the nervous system, unhindered. Knowing that emotions can't hurt you, literally, they're not dangerous. Just information, just sensation of one quality or another. And then you might ask, If there's any lingering kind of irritation, annoyance, floating around inside, take a moment to acknowledge that, to identify it, to see it, or its absence. Remembering that these are just passing moments, passing experiences. You've probably handled similar, more likely you've handled much worse in the past. And whatever you're feeling, good, bad, or indifferent, you might just remind yourself that these are legitimate feelings. They're not a sign of weakness or failure. They're just natural human responses to life as it unfolds.
And finally, give yourself permission to rest. Let the limbs and the muscles go loose and limp. Let the brain kind of slip into neutral, as though it had nothing to process. See if you can bring a sense of acceptance to this moment. You might simply say to yourself, it's okay to think whatever I think. It's okay to feel whatever I feel. It's okay. I'm okay. I have the capacity to meet this moment. You might see if you could just let the breath fall from the body. without effort. And in your own time, allow the eyes to open. And finish. Thank you for that, Matt. Do you have a one last question? <laughs> wow. Do you ever feel like, you know, you get to a beautiful space in in a, in the meditation, and then as just as you arrive, it comes to an end? <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, that's. <laughs> Uh, one reason I sometimes say, and as we draw to a close or for the final few minutes or moments, um, I mean, people often 
without realizing it, they try to meditate. They're working at it, like putting effort into effort into relaxing. Try harder to relax. You can do better than that, or you can feel better than this, or you can find that quiet space in your mind or something. You know, so there's this continual kind of like almost vigilance. Am I am I really relaxed? <laughs> okay, it's a version of a subtle version of am I doing this right or mm. have I got there yet? Or it could be a million and one things. And so just saying, oh the meditation's over now or about to end. Like you can you can surrender, you can give up, you can do a mediocre job of the last couple of minutes because it's it's almost over. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> and that's when people actually finally do relax <laughs> mm. let go of that striving. Um, so that's slightly different to what you were mentioning, I think, mm. um, where, yeah, you just, you might arrive at a nice place and unfortunately the the guidance on the app or... <laughs> in the room <laughs> ends just <laughs> well why i guess it's nice to not rely upon guidance in some ways you just go mm. through your own organic process mm. and you decide when you're done am i cooked <laughs> you know, or, yeah there's something nice about it as well though about like just being there and not trying to hold on to it as well and like the coincidental nature of that moment you know seems like it's happened to me quite often recently where I, I just arrived somewhere or I feel like I finally arrived or it just feels just like a, a, a moment of deep peace. Mm. And then a couple of moments later or two or three seconds later, it's like, <laughs> enough of that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for saying yes to come on and, you know, with all the, rescheduling and everything and and sharing space and your stories and your openness has really been very insightful and i'm sure anyone listening will be able to you know find something of use out of this chat um there's been so much that's been shared that i think could probably hit people at different stages within their own meditative journey so i just wanted to share yeah and on behalf of all of us thank you yeah mm. and thanks for inviting me michael and um yeah appreciate it the time together i appreciated your kind of thoughtful questions and yeah just the whole very casual way of flying it's it's been fun afternoon yeah yeah um so i'll put some links to the ones that you've mentioned is there anything you want to maybe say to people that uh, want to find more about your work or how they might be able to um learn more about yours your style of meditation or more about you um yeah if you link to the website that's 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 appreciate that yeah cool easy that's the most casual kind of um yeah sharing of one's own link that i've ever come across and i kind of like that (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 that's really nice yeah thank you so much matt (sighs) thank you so much for sharing your presence with me and for coming on this journey If you're interested in working one-on-one with me, head over to todaydreamer.com, see what I may have on offer. And if you're interested at all in checking out some of the other videos, head over to youtube.com forward slash todaydreamer where there'll be more content uh, around cultivating the practice of presence. 
in order to more fully contribute or participate in the blossoming of the emergent world story together. Catch you in the next episode and be well.